and welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a independent music and arts podcast. Uh, by independent, I mean I don't have any fancy goddamn network supporting me. I do this all by myself. All me. Just me. Little old me. Uh, and speaking of music, um, that song that played me in is, in is called Bandicoot. And that is from Caliphone, from their recent album Echo Mine, which came out February, I believe, 2020. And uh, speaking of which, um, I, I, well, Tim Ritelli from both from Caliphone and Red Red Meat is my guest today, and they will be Caliphone will be performing that album in its entirety on a live stream October 27th. The links to that are in my show notes. It's going to be a full production in a theater with a dance company. And uh, we talk a little bit about it in the episode, and it's uh, great. And I just, I'm going to buy a ticket because I think it's very important to support our musicians and artists in this time where they can't tour and do things. And speaking of which, there's also a band camp link in my show notes to Califone and Tim Rutelli. And um, so go buy something because most of the bands I know make their living on the road because streaming has, uh, people don't buy as much. Um, so I've been trying to support musicians by buying things on Bandcamp and watching the live stream. I watched Mets did a live stream, who also are guests on my podcast recently, Alex was. Um, uh, I watched the live stream of their show. They did perform their new album, and it was fucking incredible. It was almost as good as being there. It was maybe a little better because they didn't have to stand for an hour but I'm old. But um, the energy was there. It was really exciting. I had a few drinks. I had a great time. It was almost like going to see a live show. So uh, support your bands, your favorite bands, any way you can. I've been trying to also support local venues. The Troubadour, uh, I bought, like I've been trying to buy t-shirts from venues. I, weirdly, the Troubadour in Los Angeles is the only one that sells merch. I went to the Echo website, Hi-Hat, and The Lodge, and I've tried to buy their merch to support since they're dark in these t dark times. Um, so anyway, just throwing it out there to support bands and the venues as much as you can in this weird fucking nightmare <laughs> of an era that we live in. Um, and like I said, there's all things Tim Rutelli. If you like in the show notes. If you like my podcast and you want, speaking of support, you want to become a Patreon subscriber, you can go to patreon.com slash CWMD. I just changed that recently. But uh, you could become a subscriber. I put uh, there's interviews in their entirety. Most of them are edited down a little bit. So you get interviews in their entirety, blogs about music, uh, video, all kinds of stuff. Uh, go to the show notes. There, my link tree is in there, and you can get merch and all things, and or just email me and say hi, Matt Dwyer. I think I like your talking talk stuff. Um, okay, that's enough of uh, me. Oh, just uh, also real quick, check out my back library if you'd like music and stuff. I have a two hundred episodes that you could pick from to listen to. All right, here is my conversation with Tim Rutelli. <laughs> Are you staying at the at your childhood home? You know, I stayed there the past two nights because my family lives in, uh, like my mom is living at my sister's house in St. Charles, which is way out west. So, and I'm working in the city. So I stayed in Addison the last two nights. There's a, there's renters there. There's two, it's like a, apartments. So there's someone living in both apartments, and that's the house I grew up in. And then there's a room off the garage with a bathroom and shower, and that's where I slept the last two nights in, like, ghost city. <laughs> Is it weird to, <laughs> to be, like, in, yeah, like, a, a, your childhood home? Yeah. It's kind of, like, <laughs> um, it's, you know, I leave in the morning, like, the last two nights, I, I left, and I came back just tired. So it's just like, go to sleep, wake up, take a shower, and leave. But don't spend, don't spend a significant amount of time. But then, like, when you're asleep, I think you're most vulnerable to ghosts. So who knows what's happening on, like, a subliminal level to me right now. I might, be, I might just be fucking myself in 20 different ways. <laughs> I sleep in there. I don't know. 
I could like it just if somebody showed me a picture of my childhood home like a couple years ago and all I could see was like I was like pointing to I was like I got beat up there I got beat up there <laughs> and <laughs> so that's like I mean my mom doesn't live in the home anymore but like going home was never like it was like a Bergman film like all these like <laughs> oh no <laughs> it was like you know when the characters like characters from the past appear and start talking to you type of stuff is oh, that god like, just like like what? Cold sorrow. <laughs> like cold sorrow. It's just like nothing but just, oh no. Was, <laughs> and I, I feel like we were in the Northwest suburbs of Chicago pretty much in the same years. And I, it's, it was, I feel like the suburbs in those days were a lot more secluded and like away from anything of worth, <laughs> like culturally. Like I feel like it was a lot more challenging to find things outside of that bubble was that how it was in Addison? yeah the, yeah there was nothing um we just as soon as i could leave i was in the city as much as possible like uh it's i don't know it's it's like a like addison's like a medical waiting room you know it's like the waiting room at a doctor's office where where it's just like you're sitting there and everybody's just waiting to die and reading magazines that they're not really interested in. So, and, and any, like there's, I think there's a Starbucks there now and that's like, that's too edgy. Wow. Like Starbucks is too punk for Addison. Did you like have a interest in music at a young age? Yeah. I was interested in a lot of things that nobody else that I knew liked. So like I had a friend who had an older brother that had crazy records. So it was like, that was like smoking pot and hanging out in his room was like uh, discovery zone for, for music and for all kinds of things. Oh, that's good. Cause that guy felt like in, in Streamwood, it was, you liked the classic rock and you didn't even call it classic rock back then, but you know, Zeppelin, the doors, all that shit, and if you strayed out of it, you got hell. Like people, people would call you gay, and all, you know, if you liked new wave, like it was just this like bizarre. You couldn't like disco. You liked hard rock, or you were wrong. <laughs> was it like that in Addison? Oh yeah, it was terrible. I got beat up once for like the first year of high school was maybe the worst year of my life in, in terms of just being beaten up. Um, and you know, I was getting into some different things. I still like Led Zeppelin a lot, but then, you know, you hear like black flag or you hear punk or you hear even like the talking heads was like sort of an awakening. And I despised like, uh, like I know like my least favorite thing of all life was journey, the band journey. I kind of like them now though, but, um, (laughs) I guess it just all comes around. But I remember there was a Journey concert, and it was like after school, and it was this Catholic school where they were, we had to wear like, you know, it wasn't necessarily a uniform, but it was like you have to wear a shirt with a collar and all this shit. And uh, after school, everybody got their Journey t-shirts out on and and put them over their school clothes. And uh, it just freaked me out because I thought Journey was nothing that you should advertise. It was just a fucking horrible signifier that you were a douchebag if you liked the band Journey. So I stupidly said something like, man, Journey sucks. What are you proud of that? And I just said it, and I was like, you know, I must have looked like I was nine and I had braces on my teeth and I was smaller than everybody else. And I just got punched in the face. Like at my locker. And I was like, oh man, I guess Journey, yeah. <laughs> it was like, say Journey's great. Yeah. I, I mean, I hid the fact that I liked punk music. And like one guy, there was one guy who listened to that and he kind of had a new wave haircut and everyone gave him a hard time. And he, 
it was just weird. He was like oddly advanced and he was just like, fuck this place, fuck these people. But he like turned, made me a mixtape and it like, but I would not dare share it with people that I'd listened to that music. I was terrified of the judgment. Oh God. Yeah. It's a strange culture to grow up in for sure. Yeah. Like it's, I mean, it definitely like now I don't want to talk about this, but like now I'm sure all the people that I called you or me a fag and beat the crap out of us. (laughs) Like, you know, they're all like weird they're, they're buying Trump merch. Oh, yes. You know? All of the guys who and, beat me up are either dead, which I'm okay with, or Trumpers. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think we're okay. I think maybe we were not that wrong all along. What, I probably should have kept my mouth shut about Jeremy that day, though. Yeah. it's. Did you feel like you kind of knew that th- that world you were living in was wrong and there was a bigger something out there for you to find? Uh, yeah, uh, not always, but it was like, even like, I remember, uh, God, it was probably like, I was, I don't know, nine or 10 and you know, PBS had like Monty Python yeah. on late at night on Sunday nights. And I remember I never could sleep, so I was like, everybody in the house would be sleeping, and then I would just be wandering and then watching TV or, like, just wandering around. And uh, it was like Monty Python and the Holy Grail was on. And it freaked me out. Like, uh, like it really blew my mind. I couldn't stop laughing. I didn't, it, it, I'd never seen anything like that before. And it, like, spoke to me on this crazy deep level. And uh, and then I remember talking to people about, like, tr- trying to find someone that knew what I was talking about, and then there was nobody. <laughs> and uh, so it's like, yeah, you probably got to get out of here as soon as you, you can get out of here. And then, you know, when I was old enough going into the city and even just going to wax tracks and looking at records and buying what you can and, and like, uh, looking at magazines, like looking at like British music papers, it's like a whole world. And it kind of doesn't, ex- and it still doesn't exist in Addison, even like uh, where I'm staying. Like, I think there's vape shops there now, which, <laughs> which is pretty progressive maybe for them. Is, is marijuana even legal in Illinois? I know they were really slow about that. It's legal now, yeah. But I haven't been to the weed store here. Um, what was what else, what kind of music were you drawn to when you were that young? That made you because were you stuck listening to that? I mean, we were all kind of stuck. But there was like some great Chicago radio too. I felt like there was like these little oasises of television and radio that sort of were like these beaming lights of hope for for me as a kid. Um, I don't know. It was mostly like my friend's name is Tim Loftus and I just, I ended up seeing him yesterday for briefly, but, um, it was like hanging out in his room and he just had a pile. His brother went away to college and just left records. So there was everything from like Wyndham Hill, new age music, like George Winston to, uh, like talking heads and then the Grateful Dead, we got way into the Grateful Dead, and there was maybe three of us in our school that were into that. Um, and then a lot of it, like, uh, like when I started playing guitar, like 16, um, it was like learning Neil Young songs, learning Bob Dylan songs, and then finding punk. And and that was, uh, it was a whole lot of stuff. Like, like it was Who's Who Do, there was... I remember a band called The Embarrassment that was really good. And they were like Boston band. There was just like random things that sort of spoke to me. But it, it, it was hard finding people that liked what I liked. There was always just a few people. And then it was like years later in the city, there was like, you know, you'd find your, I, I found sort of a crowd of people that liked what I liked. Yeah, Chicago was a, a sanctuary for me too. It was like the first time I didn't feel 
like an outsider. Like I felt like, oh, there's people in this world that will accept me for whatever. <laughs> like, like it was, it was, I, it, I felt safe living in dangerous neighborhoods in Chicago because I knew it, I felt like less likely to get beat up. Yeah, isn't that strange? I still kind of feel that way. Although I still kind of feel like an outsider. I, I always kind of felt like I was outside, even like Chicago music people. I still felt a little outside of everything. Do, do, do you? But maybe it's because I'm I'm like an introvert. I guess I'm not I'm not the most social person. That's interesting because that era of like in the Chicago music scene or that time frame to me is like one of the more uh, prominent, like one of the bigger moments in Chicago music. Like there's like blues, and then I feel like you know some jazz in the 20s. But then like that 90s scene in Chicago was so rich was was that and and like when i was in chicago like red red meat was something i like that was the band that everybody talked about and and you still felt like it like i just find that fascinating because i always felt like an outsider too but like to me you were always like in the throes of this magnificent scene uh (laughs) yeah I don't know. I wish I would have enjoyed it more while it was happening. No, we we had a good time, but we were like locked together making music. And then through that, um, meeting people that were making music, like uh, with Red Red Meat, there was a recording studio called Idful that was in Wicker Park. Now there's, I think, maybe Illuminati's in that <laughs> building. But it was like in the back corner of a strip mall. And... Uh, you know, we recorded there with Brad Wood and Brian Deck, and that's where, like, John McIntyre worked there. Tortoise sort of started out of that play. You know, it's just, it was, that was a center of our scene, and it was like working with Brad is how we hooked up with Sub Pop, and, and I don't know. The good thing is, like, I'm still really close with, I love Brad, and he's out in L.A. He's still my buddy, and right now I'm in a studio here, uh, and it's Brian Deck Studio, and I'm working with Ben and Brian. We're both in Red Red Meat on this new thing. So it's kind of nice that we can all work together and we don't just talk about the past. Yeah, were you living in Wicker Park? Kinda, kinda, oh, sorry. Oh, um, I was living, trying to remember, I think uh, Ukrainian Village. I moved a lot. Um, there was a place, I guess, Bucktown back then. I was at living in Bucktown and then living in Ukrainian Village for a while and then Humboldt Park before I left. And, and I left in like 2005. Yeah. What, uh, what prompted you to leave Chicago? Yeah, I guess um, at full speed. <laughs> yeah, it just uh, I I there's I wonder like I know it was a hard place for me to leave, but I felt also like compelled. Like I'm like I have to leave, or I'll be you know 200 pounds and and just cramming Italian beefs in my face all day. Oh God! <laughs> when was the last time you ate an Italian beef sandwich? Probably the last. Oh no! About a year ago, I helped a friend do something, and we went. We ended up by the Portillos in Buena Park, and I had, uh, <clears throat> I had one, and I love them. But it, you just feel like you're like, well, that there went five years of my life. Yeah, it does. I mean, I, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do an Italian beef, or I can, maybe I can do an Italian sausage. That doesn't seem as bad. Did you ever go to like uh, Rico Benny's on the South Side? No. I don't. That for for years we had a studio in Bridgeport, right, right by um, White Sox Park, and uh, that would be a lunch place. And they had a breaded steak sandwich there. Jesus Christ! <laughs> I never could finish one back then, and if I had one now, I think even if I ate half, I would just die. Like I'm really afraid of like eating something and immediately dying because my body can't process it. And uh, 
that's not really founded on anything, but I have like a mental block about like those foods that we grew up on here that are just like part of uh, part of Chicago culture. Yeah, I just feel like I, I avoid all that stuff too because I feel like the way I lived in my twenties in Chicago is probably going to be the reason I die someday. Like, there's going to be a direct connection. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Like, you just didn't digest a beef sandwich. It's just been sitting there with you. Yeah. And then, of course, like, years. the late night, uh, I'm sure you did the late night burrito. Like, you'd go and get the, I'd go, like, after a night of hard drinking, go eat a steak burrito that was, like, the size of, like, your head, and then go to bed. And oh, like, God. Did you do the, ever hit those? Like, Aranda's, I think, was one in Echo? It was Aranda's was the one on, like, Milwaukee and Division. I, and it was open all night. It had fluorescent lights in it. It was a terrible, <laughs> terrible place. I remember. But yeah, of course. I went there for lunch one day because I was like, oh, yeah, I'll go there. And like going in there sober, I was like, this place is fucking a shithole. <laughs> <laughs> it was like filthy and reeked. Like it didn't smell like food and it was, smelled like anything but. And I was like, well, how the fuck? Do-? And I don't think I ever ate there again after that. Oh, God. Yeah, we did all kinds of things. We did all kinds of harmful things, and they felt comfortable. They felt right. We celebrated them. <laughs> Chicagoans ce- celebrate. They do. They celebrate like living. Like I have friends who are like in their fifties, and they're like you know still eating that way, and they're still in Chicago. I'm like, this is not a celebration. Like you can't do this anymore. Like, <laughs> like it, it, you're like what exactly what you said. Like you're gonna have a fucking stroke at the floor of of Al's beef. Like while you're like halfway through a sandwich, if you keep doing like, like your heart's just gonna go. Yeah. No more. But there was kind of like it's not everybody, but there was kind of an attitude. Like I know with drinking and with eating shitty food, there's kind of, there's kind of like ah, don't be a pussy. Yeah, you know, like, and that's. I mean, I know that's probably a universal thing, but uh, out here, there seemed to be like a whole crew of, of bro dudes that would be like ah, don't be a pussy, and uh, I don't know, you kind of. I try to avoid people that call me because I because I probably am a pussy and I probably should just and I think I'm okay with that. Yeah, I am too, and I'm I don't want to be that guy. There is that weird. There's like this I don't know harsh macho. I don't know if it's macho, but like there's a crusty exterior that a lot of Chicagoans have, and I think they feel they have. And I sort of got to a point where I was like, you know what? I don't need you to fucking. Take a, sh- you can't like they have to take a shot at you before they compliment you. Like they can't just say something nice, and it's like it's wearing. Yeah, it's it's tough. That's it seems. Yeah, there was I I remember there was a whole crew of people like like that, and uh, I don't want to name them, but it just it, it felt good to not be around that kind of thing. But as soon as I was old enough to realize it, I wasn't, I, I avoided a lot of, I mean, I, I spent a lot of my time avoiding people and things. So. Yeah. I didn't have to deal with, I didn't have to deal with that probably after the age of 24. Yeah. I get, especially when I, in LA, it's like, I, I became very reclusive and I had no problems with being alone for days on end. In fact, I miss it. <laughs> Yeah, it, it seems like LA is an isolating kind of place. But I, but I never really like hung out at a bar, and like I never had like a like here. It seems like there was well, scenes in bars, and we were every night we were out. Um, and in LA, maybe it's because uh, you know I was in my thirties when I left, but I just didn't. I just didn't go to bars. I just hung out at home a lot. Yeah. It worked. It's better for your creativity. I, at least it was for me of just not being hung over all day. Not that I didn't drink at home, <laughs> but um, I, I wanted to go back to the '90s in Chicago, if that's okay. Just because it was like, I feel like there was uh, like when I was researching and looking through some stuff, I was like, did people realize that there was this scene that was emerging? And because some 
people went super mainstream and I was like was I don't know I was just interested if if people were aware of what that that it was exploding at the time I really bumbled up that fucking question <laughs> sorry um, no I, I no I, I know what you, I think I know what you mean but um, I think everybody was just doing their work like there were some people that were like okay I'm gonna go for it um, and a lot of those people made one record and kind of went away um, but people that were like sincerely into music I think uh, enjoyed having uh, bigger crowds at the shows and enjoyed uh, maybe being able to pay their rent for a little while but I don't think um, it didn't feel like okay here we are it's great you know like it, it just seemed like um, it seemed like wow there's some really great record labels here there's some really great studios and there's some really great bands and a lot of uh, of the really good stuff is way different. It's not necessarily like uh, pop pop music or or alternative radio music. Yeah, like that's what it felt like to me. And and I know that when we had uh, major label people coming out for us, um, I remember a guy saying like, "You need to like I like this music that you're doing, but you need to." Make some music that the lawyers are gonna like. Oof. <laughs> I tried. I tried. And I did. It was nothing I ever wanted to release. You know, it was it was like because it was nothing I ever wanted to really listen to. So, I guess I took like uh, left turns because it was really it really felt good to play music and not necessarily. Uh, try to be a salesperson you know like I'm not a good salesman and I guess I'm not a good businessman either so but it really feels it still does feel amazing to play music and amazing to make stuff um, and that seemed to be back then even the, the the good part of the spirit of something happening with a lot of people involved in it um, the stuff that excited me was people that were like breaking down some walls and people that were were doing some different stuff. Even if I didn't love what they were doing, they were at least going for it in a creative way rather than going for it in a, in a okay, we have to put the quiet verse and the loud chorus like Nirvana, and then we can get on Q101 if we get a label that'll pay that guy $300,000 to buy a washing machine for the programmer. <laughs> you know, like, it just seemed, like a lot of it seemed like bullshit, but a lot of it seemed amazing. Yeah, that's true. Like, I felt like there was a lot of... And I feel like there was a lot happening in different genres. Like, in that era, there was also Vandermark was... Ken Vandermark got, like, recognized uh, for the MacArthur Genius Award. Like, it wasn't it wasn't like very popish, radio-friendly music, but it was all unique. And like, like you were saying, Tortoise and and what you guys were doing and some of the other... Uh, like it was very unique sounding and I was always curious because like it was post like after Seattle uh, exploded and I was always wondering it's like were the labels looking to find like another scene that they could market and did Chicago seem appropriate for that if that does that make sense like I like yeah I think I think that was part of it I know that when we started working with Sub Pop that was the first label that we signed to um they were, we were recording with Brad and working with Brian at Idful Studios, and Liz Fair was just starting to break big. So I know that labels were poking around after, because Liz was there, and we were working with the same people. And that's how we got involved with, with some pop. Um, but I think people were like looking for, it seemed like there was a lot going on here. So there were labels, and, and then there was pop bands, and then there were other kinds of things, and Smashing Pumpkins, and and like Urge Overkill, and all that stuff too. Um, so there was a lot of people like poking around. Yeah, Urge seemed diff- different than I felt like the rest, because I felt like Urge really was like all about being larger than life, and they wanted to be rock stars like that. I mean, they were unapologetic about that, and it was. 
an interesting dynamic in a scene where everybody or like an era where people were playing down that side of of being in a band well um it's it's it depends on how you have fun like um they enjoyed being larger than life um douchebags in my opinion <laughs> you know well there's like yeah. i thought I thought they were a cool band. I liked their music um, up to a point, and then it just seemed like, wow, they're really... Like, when you talk to them, we did some touring with them, um, and I was like, wow, you guys don't have to act like this now. Like, like uh, we could just have a conversation. And that was not... It wasn't happening. Like, they really did want to be... Like, what is it... Like you must know this with pe- with comedy people. Like, there's got to be like people that can't wait to be famous so that they can be dicks. You know, <laughs> a long and list so of names came to mind. Yes, a long list of names. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I think of with our joke. Like, I can't re- remember their music, but I do remember like at the time going like, "Wow, these guys are fucking ridiculous," and. And it, it, it would be one thing, like, wearing the costume and putting on a show. But it's another thing if you're sitting at the bar doing that, you know? Yeah, it's like, part of me wonders, like, like, did you create the persona and then get let it take over? Or were you just an asshole? And, I mean, there was plenty of stories about those guys, even. And I wasn't really, I mean, I had friends in the music scene, but I wasn't uh, steeped in it. But, I mean, there's the old adage of or story of Albini telling them well we'll see who's sucking dick for beer money in 10 years <laughs> and I was like wow when I, I heard that I was like that's harsh and then I was like 10 years later I was like wow he was smack on <laughs> yeah it, it seemed like they put the cart ahead of the horse a little bit and uh, I don't know it seems like a common thing but they were very remember um, Stalker no. They had like a stalker was oh god, this is a blurry memory and I might be just talking out of my ass here, but stalker was like there were girls that would dress up like Urge Overkill and stalk them and they made like a little fancy. Wow, I don't that's incredible. I have had some yeah. friends who were super into Urge, so I'm sure they uh, I, I, it's just that they never clicked with me that much musically. Yeah, but I think, I mean, I remember seeing them play. Um, I remember seeing a show at Metro that I, I, it was like Slint playing, and it was like Slint and Urge Overkill. There might have been one other band playing, and I was like, Urge Overkill. Slint was amazing, and Urge was really great too. But, um, I don't know. I'm, I, I kind of lost. I don't know. I, I, I can't remember the last time I wanted to listen to that. <laughs> what, what, what was the reasoning for uh, switching from Red Red Meat to Caliphone? Which, um, well, we, we stopped doing Red Red Meat. And then I started doing Caliphone, and then by the time we were finishing up, I just, I don't know, we still all work together. So I don't know, I don't remember really, but I didn't think it was going to be the same band, but it ended up being sort of a, a different approach to the same band with a lot of the same people coming in and out of Caliphone. So I don't know. Um, I, How do you feel when people, because I was researching it and it's like they always say use the word experimental and I'm like is that I, how do you feel about that label um well <laughs> we try some things well I just always like and I, sometimes they <laughs> and sometimes they don't work you know like we're a petri dish we're an ecosystem of uh like uh 
disparate elements. I, yeah, I don't know. It just seems like Sometimes to me it's it feels like, like experimenting. Yeah, I mean, but that's what every creative person experiments. And to me, I felt like I was like, is this just a label they throw on something because it doesn't sound like something? Because Caliphone has an, as you, I'm sure you're aware, it's like it's one of those bands that no one sounds like no one will ever sound like and it's its own entity and which is a, a a great thing and so i think sometimes these people whoever just don't know how to put it they can't put it in a box so they go oh it's experimental yeah i don't know sometimes it seems like we're just ripping off the kinks and then sometimes we're ripping <laughs> off can <laughs> And then sometimes we're just making noise and we go, okay, that sounds cool. So I don't know. I mean, I, I try not to, to I, not, I try not to put us in a box. Like they also say folk music. Oh, that's interesting. And to me, I don't, I don't think that we're folk music, but it's like, uh, but I guess there's an acoustic guitar sometimes and we do play around with that form sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, I just, I mean, I remember the first time I heard the band and it was, there's those moments where you hear something and it distinctly hits you and it hits you on a various levels and you, re and it's like this, oh, what the fuck? This is amazing. You, you know, it's like something you've never heard and it excites you and you want more. And that's how I felt the first time I heard you guys. And that doesn't happen very much, I feel. Um, but it, it you can say that that, I don't know, thank you, because it's really, really nice to hear. It, 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 it sounded like an individual, I think. Like, I think, um, like, I know I've been affected that way by all kinds of music, and some people don't hear, I don't know, with our music, some people don't hear anything but just um, mumbling fart <laughs> noises. Like... <laughs> And then some people go, wow, there's something in there speaking to me, you know, like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's, and it's some of the, cause you, um, the, all my friends are funeral singers. Is that, am I screwing that title up? Cause I don't think I wrote it down correctly in my notes. Oh yeah. That's, that's what it is. It's all my friends are funeral singers. But you turned that into a film and that's what I found really a film that you wrote and directed which is in, incredible do you realize that you were one of the few guys who've written, written and directed and also scored his own film I think Chaplin is might be the only other one and, me and Charlie are the only people <laughs> like we're similar in so many we both have we both have Hitler mustaches we walk funny <laughs> and we and we did that yeah. Like, did Charlie Chaplin really play music, or did he just hum things to composers and then take credit for it? Oh, I don't know. That's a good a good point. I just remember reading that he did that, and I feel like Woody Allen played a score for one of his movies, but he didn't write it. But it's still a pretty rare... I feel like there's like a German or a Swede who did it as well, but I can't remember which director. There's got to be more... There's more people. Hal Hartley's done it a little bit because he does net. He he'll put it as Ned Rifle, but it's it's. Um, oh God! I know that there's other people that do this. But the main ones are me and Charlie. Though. <laughs> That's those For are sure. the two that everybody like, talks about. <laughs> he, he's number one. I'm number two. We both are silent too. <laughs> Did, but when you wrote the album, was that the... Because the, it was a, a spell later that you made the film, correct? Was that, the, was that what you had in mind when you wrote the album, or was that something that... Yes. That's, and did you already have... The, yeah, it's, it's... Oh, it's just, did you I already wrote, have the um, screenplay so, in your brain? I, it's, it's fascinating to me. Um, I wrote... Uh, songs and scripts sort of at the same time. And then uh, the script always kept changing to the last second and even changed while we were making the movie. But um, songs and script kind of came at the same time. And then uh, we recorded the record and then made the film. 
and then edited it. And then we had a version of it that was a standalone movie. And then we had a version of it that had, um, like dialogue and some sounds. And then we did a live, we, we toured with it and did a live score to the film. And that was the ultimate purpose of the movie is to like take something out that we could live score. That was, a you know, a weird narrative, cool little movie that was supposed to look the movie was supposed to look and feel like the music and the music was supposed to sound like the movie felt and and uh, none of it's on the nose as far as the lyric it's not a musical but like um, there are sections of the movie like if you saw it with the live score we're up on the screen playing and then we're playing on the stage too like we're playing along with the the noise that we're making on the screen. So it was kind of a cool, different um, thing. And when it worked, it was pretty amazing. Uh, Was that the first time? I know you've directed some other things. Was that the first one, the film that you directed? That's the the only narrative film that I've written directed. Um, Everything else in the 90s, I was doing, uh, I was co-directing music videos with my friend Jeff Economy, and I've done some later by myself, but it was, I went to school for film and, uh, and then the band sort of happened. So I left school and I never really went back, but, um, started making music videos pretty early on with, uh, with all kinds of bands. Was it a challenge to direct it? Cause I've tried to direct and, and it's, uh, like film and I was also in a short it was like a short film and it was a I quickly was like anybody who does this is a has a brain on a level that I can't achieve <laughs> because that was it was it was just too complicated how was that up going into it of directing a, a narrative film um I don't know I want to do it again because I think I can do it much 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 better I learned a whole lot doing that um and learned more editing it too. So I'd like to do it again. And I've been writing, um, but yeah, it was a it was a lot to deal with, and uh, it was a, I mean, it was a tough project, and it happened really, really fast. And we had very like like very low, 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 low budget, um, but everybody stepped up. It was like, you know, we were working with incredible people. So everybody stepped up and um, and did an amazing job, and that and that helped. But yeah, when you're directing, you have to know. You have to. You can't say I don't know. You have to have an opinion about everything, and you have to. You have to know how it's going to be, and I kind of did know how I wanted it to be, but um, I don't know. I, I don't think I have the chops. Like that movie is really. Like there are things about it that I love and things about it that's kind of cringe now. But the things that I love, I, I still love. Like there's a lot of images in there and and a lot of things that came out of that are wonderful and terrible. Yeah. I, I, I wonder as, like as an artist if that... Is there anything you... Because I feel like almost everything I look at, at that I've written or worked, I always look back and go, oh, I could have done this or that differently is there any <laughs> like I just I don't think that anybody is I don't know is it, have you ever been fully satisfied with a finished product of or not product that's the a piece um, and been like holy shit this is amazing top to bottom I really nailed it have you ever felt comfortable that way no I, I live in a state of beating the crap out of myself <laughs> yeah I, I can, and, I'm sorry, go ahead. And trying to find ways to like not beat the crap out of myself and and just like really not liking myself very much for for I don't even know why anymore. So it's like a lot of my energy goes into finding ways to to um like myself and not beat myself up and not have regrets. So there's I don't know, I, I at the time, I, I don't think I'd ever put anything into the world that I didn't love in some way, but there's always something wrong. It's never perfect. It's never like, like that movie is 
oh god there are some things that where I'm just like oh fuck that's truly bad like Ed Wood style like shitty not trying to be campy maybe campy and then there are other moments that are just that I absolutely love that are probably not my fault even that they're good you know so I don't know I mean you gotta yeah we all feel this way unless you're like maybe a douchebag unless you're a fucking dick and that, that you think everything that you do like maybe your mom put everything you ever did on the refrigerator um I don't know man but it's 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 a struggle to like like not um have your head in the shitter and making like the act of making things while while we're doing them your brain is kind of off you're not thinking about yourself and you're making something and it's meditational usually in some way and uh and feels transcendent that while you're doing it like the final product might be different and you might not have like the way you felt making it i've never had it line up with the way it's received by people in the world like most things that i've done are mostly ignored you know by masses of people but um I'm not really, I'm embarrassed by some things, but I'm not, uh, like there's something that I love about everything that I've done. Yeah. That's also part of the, I mean, the growth. It's like, if I looked at anything I did in my twenties, it's, you know, I wasn't, it's interesting to me too. And this is two thoughts at once, but like people put so much importance on the, on youth and creativity, like the young band, this, it's like, I really couldn't express myself well without after having life tear me apart a few times. <laughs> like, that's just the truth of it. And it's like, I feel like I'm a more, anybody who's in their 40s and 50s becomes a more creative, uh, matured creatively. But it, the emphasis isn't on that in the industry. Was that? Yeah, it's really, it's really strange. It, it, do you feel like, in order to um, become better in touch with your creativity and your art, that you had to have life beat the crap out of you a little bit or a lot? Um, I feel like, I guess it was a mix of things. I mean, I, my childhood was pretty rough, so I already had a lot of uh, pain, pain and stuff in that department. But, like, I, I think I needed to... I think in your 20s, you, uh, I believed, like, oh, I can fucking do anything. Like, I was, it was like, there was a f false sense of confidence. And then I feel like career-wise, I got knocked around a lot. I thought I was on my way, and that came, like, several times. I was like, all right, well, this is all clicking together. And then had it just disappear, and then, like, I'm f fucking flat broken <laughs> and working a shitty job. And I think those things helped me become more grounded and uh, um, realistic with my approach to things. And and I think also, like, maybe not give a fuck as much. I think that was another element to, to where I just, like, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this. If you don't like it, I don't give a shit, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think that's the key, is, like, um, you, like getting your ass kicked a bit it, it puts your priorities in line and when you realize your priority is not necessarily like being a famous guy but um really being able to um tap into your creativity is a great it's a great it's a, it's a great thing you know but some people get their ass kicked and and it's just bitterness takes over and I'm trying to be really conscious about that and go, okay, this is what's like making these things is really important. Um, I have no control over all these other aspects of it. And, uh, and I like letting go of control while I'm making them, like getting my um, conscious brain out of the way and seeing what affects me on an emotional level, level that's even on an inarticulate level, <laughs> what moves me. You know, and a lot, and for me, music is is sort of at least my music. It, it it's expressing 
something that I can't articulate. You know, it's an, it, it's like abstract painting. Even if it sounds like a pop song, to me, it's like there's uh, abstract collage elements involved. So it, it's, instinctu- it's instinctual, and if your brain's too busy, you can't do it. And if you have too much of an agenda, then you push things through and it sounds forced and doesn't feel good. So I guess it all ties in in some way. Does that make any sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, uh, I, I just, I was, had a, it made me think of something. And then I, as soon as I went to ask it, I forgot, but I, (laughs) (laughs) well, because it was a lot within that, but I feel, yeah, I, I think that's why I stopped doing comedy is I feel like it became a limited form of expression. And that's what I'd like. I wish I could create music because it, I feel like you can do something that's a bit more abstract and surreal. And you can do that in film, but you can't. I mean, I guess Monty Python was a bit abstract, but it was that. I don't know. I was chasing thoughts there. But <laughs> um, what is the. Do you want to do comedy? comedy again no i i put i had an album come out and i just didn't have it in me anymore and i do, i write for comedians still i i still work in that field but i don't want to perform and i don't want to be famous and i want and writing wise i like the screenplays i've written have always been a bit more dark and small like i'm not writing um super bad or any nothing like i'm not saying that's a bad film i'm just saying it's not what my is in my interests and i've tried to write mainstream like action comedies and i just uh hated myself the entire time because it's not what i'm interested in but i was like oh maybe i'll make some money but i just couldn't do it i it's not what and i've always just followed my impulses or and been like oh this is what i want to do now and i'll see how this pans out and I don't know if that's a wise map for one's career, but I don't know any other way. I don't know. I understand what you, like, I, I get it. I feel really similar. Like you just do it. You got to do what you want to do as much as possible. Yeah. And I think you some, know? some people get, some people that clicks for, and it really, you know, like it, their timing is really great with the, what's shifting in culture. So, um, like I've, I feel like I've seen people get famous and I'm like, you just got, you got lucky. Like you're not a special person. You just got lucky. And I don't want fame cause I'd have a nervous breakdown if I was famous. <laughs> <laughs> I would think so. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, like, uh, what was his name? Uh, not the, the, the comedian. He's in the bad boys movies, not uh, Will Smith, but the other guy, um, I mean, he was like, you know, waving a gun in the middle of the street like 15 years ago and like losing his oh, mind. Oh, it's Martin Lawrence? Yeah. And I just think like that's, if people, you know, creative people tend to have a bit of brokenness to them or some different ways of approaching life. And I think the pressures of fame and that constant, like, I don't know, then your life, I've seen friends become famous and it's like their world becomes it's not real. It's like, it's just bizarre. And I, it's gotta be hard to keep your, you have to be a strong person to keep that shit together. And I don't think a lot of people are that strong. That's why you see celebrities go fucking batshit and fuck up their faces with plastic surgery and all these, like that just seems like a horrible world to live in. (laughs) It's so, it's so weird. It's so weird, but I don't know. I keep thinking like people that, like in order to get there, you have to be some kind of fucking crazy. Like in order to even get, like, and even people that become billionaires, I, I think like in order to become a billionaire, there's got to be some part of you that's fucking cracked. Oh, there's like just to keep to keep needing and wanting to pile on top of pile money is is batshit crazy. And I could reckon, because I have a bit of that brokenness in me where I would at one point want it to be famous. And it was solely driven by, you know, I wanted to be, you know, I was trying to heal the bullshit that happened to me as a kid. But, and if I think if I would have got there, I would have not, it would have been like, oh, this isn't what I thought it was. But I would have stayed in that weird, weird bubble until I, you know, 
bottomed out on God knows what drugs and <laughs> ended up on a celebrity reality show because I was broken into <laughs> <laughs> But you get on that reality reality show and you fucking kill. That's right. You do great. Like you get on that reality. Did I? Uh, I don't know. Some people just really, really need. I don't know. I don't like networking. I don't like a lot of what's happening right now, and even like the political culture is fucking crazy. Uh, like addiction to attention is is nuts. I think there's going to be a backlash you know? to it. I mean, we have a president that just wants attention. This is, I so hope, I hope so. I mean, this is what celebrity culture has brought us. It's like the eighties on, uh, on like steroids and crack at the same time, because the eighties were very materialistic and shallow. I mean, the, the, the main culture, there was a lot of great art and other things going on underground, but I feel, and then that, people had there was a backlash to that i feel with the 90s and and i i i think people are fucking sick of i don't give a fuck about celebrities i'd never have i've i've worked at a company for a while and we wrote a lot of uh celebrity stuff and i was just like i don't fucking care (laughs) i got fired by the way (laughs) um Probably a good thing. But it's like, I think it's, I think people are tired of being shallow. And I think in a weird way, I feel like maybe that's why people went back to records. They want something, you know, the, tangible again. And something. Like something tac- like tactile and real. Yeah. And, and not just a file, a file. Yeah. I've seen you actually talk about that in, in an interview. And I was like, yeah, people, and I feel like, I think the interview was like kind of before the record resurgence happened, but I feel like people want, meaning and art and something to hold and to connect to and you can't connect to Kim fucking Kardashian <laughs> I mean some people can a lot but um, I, I don't know I don't know man I, I hope you're right and I hope there is a backlash and I, I really do hope like uh, like culture goes back to maybe looking inward like people looking at themselves in ways uh, that are more healing instead of like looking outside themselves and blaming every fucking thing on everybody else. And that's, it would be, I mean, I don't, I voted. I'm glad I voted. I hope that like, I hope, I don't know. I hope that Trump, I just want him to go away because I think he's, I'm hoping that he's like the last blast of this particular kind of fucking dick. Like, and I, I mean, I said I didn't want to talk about it, but it's, it's like with every, with everybody that I see and with everybody that I talk to, it comes up and everybody's just like exhausted. And then we have these phones that every time we look, there's like news and every single day he does something that's like even more foul than this. Like every day there's like a new bottom like that we didn't even know existed and that he's getting away with. And I don't know. I just want these people to go away. And I think most people do. <laughs> like, I know these guys as fans, but yeah, the min- I, I just hope, I hope that people need to rest. Yeah. I don't, it, it, somehow we, I mean, the majority of the country is not Christian conservative. Like that's just a fact. <laughs> Somehow these motherfuckers are loud enough and they get, keep the control. But I'm like, this is not the, like, this is not the majority. This is not what the most people want for this country. I don't know how they keep pulling it over, uh, you know, but I mean, they've, they haven't won the, pop- well, they cheat. It's like yeah, bl- that- blatant cheating and blatant. It's like massive hypocrisy. And they, seem to get away with it like yeah maybe it's because there's so much of it but i i feel like the yeah uh, <laughs> uh i did sorry i just derailed our conversation no by bringing this up, it goes there often because <laughs> it's inevitable and it's like th- we're at a boiling point and it's like you know we're weeks away from the november 3rd and it's gonna be I, I think you and I talked. I just like I don't know how I'm going to spend November third, other than probably in a blackout. <laughs> it's like I don't want to be conscious for that. 
Oh, God. Yeah, I'm going to drive. We have to play here the 27th for this live streaming thing, and then I think I might just drive home. So I'm, I'm back home uh, by the election so that I, I feel safe. What is the live stream? And I can just... Oh, sorry. Oh, we're, oh, we're doing a show. Uh, we, the last record that we made, it came out uh, in, just in time for the pandemic. And uh, we were going to do these shows. It's, the record is a, a soundtrack to a dance piece that we worked on with dancers. Um, Robin Maneka Williams is the, is the choreographer and one of the dancers. And they did it live. Uh, out here at the Harris Theater in December, and then we were going to do, and they did that to the recordings, and it was incredible. And then we were going to do some live shows with the dancers, with the live band and the dancers. So that didn't happen, and now this live stream thing came up. So that's what we're getting together. So we're sort of trying to be COVID safe and get tested, and we're cloistered here at the studio working on the music and then we all get tested once more and then we go to this uh, empty school in Michigan uh, next week and work with the dancers and then we do the show on the 27th and then yeah and then go home that's really cool and so, post the live stream will people also be able to buy it will it be something I think so yeah I think they buy a ticket and then they can watch it either live while it's happening or they can watch it whenever I, I think that's how it works it's pretty yeah because i watched a live stream of uh mets did a live stream for their new album and it was shot incredibly and i was like oh you're gonna fucking put this on dvd and sell it because why else would you <laughs> go to this great length to uh um real quick i did want to ask you an, an odd sort of not odd but like because we in our text, we discussed the Old Town Owl House a lot, and I was just curious because it is an iconic bar. But like, that was—did you live in that neighborhood? Like, what brought? Because I got the impression you spent a lot of time at the Old Town Owl House, as I did. I was it open? At, was it open until five in the morning? It was a four o'clock and then five on Saturdays. That's why I went there. <laughs> but, it, but didn't Wicker Park have any four o'clocks, or am I? Was Phyllis's? Yeah, but a lot of times they were just crowded and not as fun. And I I remember going there after bars closed or all or around closing time a lot. And it was a different group of people. It was kind of just fun to go there. Um, like, oh god, it's such a blur. But it was like, uh, it seemed like there was always old people in, in there and there was something about being in bars now I am an old person but back then there was something about being in bars with old people that seemed a little bit more fun I I always uh, and even like now I go to bars where there's even older people and I'm the old guy but I wonder like I was just wondering because we talked about getting beat up so much I'm like did I like old guy bars because I knew no one would beat me up <laughs> like because once in a while I would end up in one of those Chicago frat head guy bars and you know I had long hair and stuff and it was inevitable I got shit just because I had long hair and I was like really like this still is a thing <laughs> oh god but you know the frat yeah, boy element it, it was sorry go ahead oh yeah the bro the avoiding bros was uh important and kind of still is but um yeah like old people don't and being an old person now like i just want to be left the fuck alone like can we just be nice like make a fucking joke like yeah, yeah. don't want any shit from anybody ever again please do you remember michael so shannon it, hanging out at the old town Ale house the actor um do you know you know who i'm talking about right oscar i know what you're talking about oscar. oh wow he won, he won an oscar i think so i know he's been nominated a few times but he uh yeah he used to i before he was famous I, he would always I be think there. i saw him at the at the empty bottle yeah he likes his shitty dive bars too oh are you still there yes can you hear me I, I remember him around an empty bottle. Yeah, that seems like a place he would go. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. 
but I don't remember him at the ale house. Yeah, you'd always be sitting either in that upper window area to the left, like above the jukebox or right next to the jukebox. And he was just a, you know, dirty theater actor. And I mean dirty because he literally oh. always looked like he needed a bath. <laughs> you know what? I wanted to ask you a question. Can you, do you have like a Chicago accent that you, like, that you go, that you go into? Like, do you have a Chicago accent that you had to get rid of? Uh, no. I think it, maybe it, I lost it a little bit over time. Like, like say a hot dog. Hot dog. Say sandwich. Sandwich. <laughs> okay. I have like a flat A thing. What does that mean? Like uh, Al House, instead of like a fail. Al. Al. Okay. That's, I get mocked for a lot. Okay. Do you? I mean, I would, did you? Ever? I don't know. I'm hearing myself talk, like now that I'm here and I was around my family. Like it gets like Chicago, like uh, you know, like Italian beef sandwich. You know, like like my family's Italian, so it gets a little more. You know, your cousin Bobby's coming over. Don't say that thing. Don't talk politics with him. You know, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, my brothers seem to have it a lot more than I do. Like of all the people that beat you up, did Italian people ever beat you up? No, it was, uh, no, no Italians beat me up. Polish? Probably Polish, Irish. <laughs> I knew it. Sorry. Um, yeah. Yeah. When is this live stream and when can people find that? Cause this. Okay. It's through a company called audio tree. Um, and, uh, they can go on our website and you can pick up tickets and it's October 27th, and uh, and it's going to be Caliphone with uh, Robin Maneka Williams and artists. And we're going to be doing uh, Echo Mine is the name of the album that we put out last or this year. And we'll be performing that with dancers. So there's going to be, it's going to be a little bit more loose and improvisational than the dance performance was in December, and then, of course, the record. That sounds and incredible. Only, um, yeah, and there's only three of us playing, and it's me and Ben Massarella and Brian Deck, and we were all original Red Red Meat guys, too. So that's been kind of special. It's been really kind of amazing putting it together after spending so much time alone. Like, like uh, so much time in, like, isolated because of the COVID and all that. I could imagine. Yeah, because you... So, I'm dying to do anything with somebody. <laughs> Man, it's really, I really, it's really fun to play music with people after not doing it for a long time. Awesome. Thank you very much, Tim.